0: This is Philip Meyer, welcoming you to another episode of Talking About Platforms. We present and discuss relevant discoveries from the field of platform research.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel Trebuchchi.
0: In every episode, we have a
1: guest sharing with us one of his or her latest papers on platforms to make it
0: accessible for everyone. And with that, let's jump right into the conversation. Welcome to a new episode of Talking About Platforms. Welcome to our guest for today, Hannah Halaborda. Hi Hanna.
2: Uh, hi. And Thanks to be here.
0: Great to have you and welcome to my regular co-host, Daniel. hey Daniel.
1: Hi, Philippe. Hi Anna.
0: As always, let me quickly introduce today's guest. Uh, Hannah is an economist, an economist. Um, she worked as a senior economist for the Bank of Canada for over seven years. And in 2019, joined the uh, NYU Stern School of Business as an associate professor of technology operations and statistics. Um, Her research is focused on, I would say two core uh, topics that we hopefully uh, will both um, touch and then hopefully even combine in the end, uh, which is competition between digital platforms and since 2011 like since the early days i would say uh, hannahs also uh, doing a lot of very interesting work in the field of digital currencies and uh, blockchain technology hannah did i did i forget something important would you like to to add something or no oh, i
2: i think that i think that summarizes it very well thank you
0: all right great daniel as always with this exciting guest what would be your, your first opening question
1: It will be the usual question. I guess our listeners at this point uh, probably know it. You know, the main idea behind the podcast is having people that talks about platform, talking about platforms together. And uh, uh, the first question that I usually ask is kind of double-edged, which is what brought you to the world of platforms? So how you arrived to study these these kind of businesses uh, and second, what is a platform to you? Meaning that all of us are actually talking about platforms, but not really always looking at the same kind of businesses, at the same kind of market structure, business idea or whatsoever. So we'd, we'd like to know what is a platform to you?
2: So um, my very first um, interaction with platforms, and this is what got me into this um, uh, into the into the topic of studying platform competition was in fact dating platforms. Uh, so specifically eHarmony, competing with match.com, with OkCupid. And for me, platforms are places where uh, people of similar or different kinds meet together. And they need to be matching in a way. So there may be maybe one to one matching. It may be one to many matching. So later I moved on to uh, to studying video game consoles like Xbox and PlayStation, where one 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 gamer can play multiple games, and one developer can produce multiple games, and so on. And the dating market in the dating market, as we understand it, uh, we 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 think about a one to one matching. And um, and I was uh, I I was I already knew about uh, platforms and platform competition from uh, work of Jean Tirole and, um, and and um, and his co-authors and and it was really I found it really interesting. But when I uh, was writing, so my very first case when I joined HBS I was on eHarmony. And this was because I was looking at the matching, and uh, the, the one-to-one matching or, you know, looking for jobs and therefore, you know, a, a similar matching mechanism is, uh, as I saw it is happening in dating market. you know, economists looking at the world, right? Uh, workers and firms or dating market, the same thing, right? Um, so, uh, so I was, I looked at uh, eHarmony and then and, and later, video games. And I said, "Well, there are really interesting forces when it comes to competition of uh, not just platforms, but how this competition, you know, plays out it depends how people or agents uh, compete within the platform. Either on the same side, or, or they do not compete on the same side. There may be positive network effects on the same side. They may be competing on the same side. They always care about the other side." And how this competition plays out tells us about what will be the competitive structure in the market. Are we going to have multiple platforms coexisting? Are we going to have just one platform taking the whole market? And I thought those questions are being quite interesting. And and it led to questions how to design a platform in this competitive environment, because if we think about those forces between different people on the same platform maybe the platform should limit the 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 number of uh, you know potential candidates that you see rather than than open it up and be as big as possible so so this is what brought me to the to the to to the, the whole realm of platforms and of course later the questions multiplied and there were many other questions how information Plays a role in platform competition and platform operation, platform design, and so on. And yeah, and going back to the question, what is platform for me? It's a it's a place where people meet and match, and you know, people broadly agents meet and match. And uh, this this is what uh, this is why for me uh, platforms would be dating markets. Uh, would be um, Uber and Lyft. Or would be seamless, right? So this is why you know when we are moving to mobile, it actually also changes the the competitive forces. And um, similarly, video games. Um, yeah. So those those would be the examples of uh, most prototypical platforms for me.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I think this leads also very well to the the paper that brought my attention to. Uh, To your work and where you like very much look into how agents on accommodation, uh, I think this is the the example that you use here and accommodation platforms behave with a very interesting phenomenon, uh, which is multi homing on both sides and uh, the paper, the title of the paper is platform competition with multi homing on both sides Subsidized or not question mark, it is published in 2020 in management science. Uh, together with Yanis uh, Bakos, um, I hope I pronounced this uh, correctly. Um, Hannah, would you be so kind to introduce uh, your exciting work to, to us and to the audience?
2: Thank you. So, yeah, again, so going back to what I said is how mobile, uh, having, our, having internet on mobile and having mobile is... Uh, it's maybe changing the nature of competition. This was a, a motivation, in a way, uh, when it when it came to this paper. So the very basic um, argument uh, in platform economics, uh, stating or, or differentiating platforms from other type of businesses, is the importance of network effects. And if we have two sided well, two sided um, platform. Uh, where we have two different types of agents. So it could be for example, heterosexual dating market, men and women, it could be workers and, uh, and employers, it could be game developers and and uh, and gamers. When we have those, uh, those, those two sides, each side benefits from having more on the more people on the other side. Even if they don't see all of them, they still benefit from having more people on the other side. And this is where this uh, this idea that a, a large platform is going to grow larger or will be able to charge higher prices because it offers better value by providing more people on the other side. And this uh, the the direct consequence of this uh, of this dynamics is that it may be profit maximizing for a platform to actually subsidize one of the sites because then it brings more of those agents on one side to the platform and it allows to charge higher prices on the other side which more than make up for the subsidy and without that subsidy then uh, then the platform would be subject to competition or maybe difficult to start and 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 attract uh, users so uh, so what we w- once once this logic has been discovered it was pretty common for platforms uh especially starting platforms to say we are investing in getting users we are going to get revenues and profits later on and right now we are subsidizing the adoption in order to later l- later make it up so it's fine that we are losing money and uh, that that kind of we kind of saw it with uh with Uber and Lyft they were basically trying to grow the market get the market and they said once we have a lot of uh, a lot of passengers. We are going to have a lot of uh, drivers. We will be able to increase the prices, and we are going to recoup our investments. And what we realized with Yanis is that this argument may not completely follow true when we have multi-homing of users on both sides. And the pre- previous research on uh, on platforms would as would allow for multi-homing but multi-homing would be at most on one side so what is multi-homing multi-homing would be users who are using both platforms at the same time so they are maybe i will go to, go with lyft or with uber or sometimes i may check both of the apps and see where the price is different or whatever the time or uh, but i'm I, I can i can see that at any time this is, this is multi homing. Uh, but uh, the reason why we have not seen multi homing on both sides uh, in the past was because typically you would have, so for example, with video games, you would need to buy a video game console. So this would be a bulky thing. Uh, you either, and expensive, you would either buy uh, Xbox or PlayStation. You wouldn't typically buy both. So therefore, at least on the gamer side, people would select themselves into one of those two, one of those two categories, the developers would often offer at least some of the games on both platforms. But you would have single homing on one side and multi homing on the other side. Similarly, if you think about uh, smartphones, we typically don't have two smartphones. We have, you know, one either we go out for Android or we go for Apple. And when we have, when a platform is a device, then it is inconvenient to be multi-homing, and therefore, therefore, assumption that there is single homing on at least one side is, is valid. And then this dynamic of subsidies work. But more, more and more, what we are seeing is that the platform is an app on a on a smartphone, and now having multiple apps that are doing a similar thing is really the you know at your fingertips, just tap away. It's not costly to be multi-homing anymore. And this is true for both passengers and drivers in case of Uber and Lyft. Okay? Now now that we have multi-homing on both sides, at least some part of the market, not that everybody is multi-homing, but there are some passengers that are multi-homing, some, uh, some drivers who are multi-homing. What will happen is that this logic behind subsidy is breaking up and now growing the market and having more drivers and subsidizing the drivers does not allow over and left to charge higher prices on the uh, on the on the uh, on the passenger side so now that that may not no, no longer be the case that we are fine losing money we're going to make it up later on unless we drive away the the other the other guy but we cannot really make money and um and make make money with subsidy and coexist. Uh, so why is this the case? If we are multi-homing on both sides, then it is no longer really the case that I can charge higher prices to passengers when I have more drivers. I can charge higher, higher uh, prices to passenger when I have more exclusive drivers. And that is a different story. So I need to have more drivers that the other guy does not have, that the competing platform does not have. And now if I keep subsidizing, I have more drivers overall, but it does not mean that I have drivers that the other platform does not have. It's just more drivers multi-homing. And that does not really increase my appeal because the same drivers are on the other platform and the and the passengers can see that. So this is in the nutshell, the, the, uh, uh, the, the logic of the paper. And we think that it is important because there are more and more platforms that are just apps on both sides, and it may be more uh, more important even for for you know for businesses than it was in the past.
1: Oh, that's that's interesting. You are taking probably some of the most important concepts of two sided platforms and actually entering in them from multi homing to to the network effects, and actually giving a, a deeper perspective on, on on them, I was wondering, what kind of uh, uh, suggestions would you give to the companies that are in that situation right now, So that they are actually living this kind of uh, phenomenon? And uh, are you seeing any kind of uh, correlation or dependency related to the maturity of the field, the industry where the two-sided platform is, is is taking place.
2: So in terms of suggestions, I would say that the a way to a way out of this kind of, of, of a trap uh, of the multi-homing is either encourage single homing, but that is difficult and sometimes maybe related to anti-competitive practices. So I do not recommend going that route. But uh, one way to encourage single homing and get away from the direct competition is a differentiation, horizontal differentiation. So going for different type of services. Um, with Uber and Lyft, we see that it is difficult because whatever one is doing, the other one can replicate. Uh, but, uh, but this is why I think they, they in particular are in this, in this trap. Uh, but otherwise, it is uh, it's really differentiation that is going to help platforms to coexist um, and and profitably coexist. Coexistence is you know it's easy if you are uh, if you are if you are okay with losing money every year, but eventually, if you want to make some money, that may be that may be difficult. Network effects by themselves are not enough if you think about competitive environment
1: the hypothesis that i've got in mind is uh, you, you were saying uh, back in the days so you launched a uh, two-sided platform subsidizing both sides to, to to get there and that was true for uber um it can be true for Lyft. Uh, entering the market in the same way is uh, is probably basically impossible at this uh, at this point but at the same time we've done a study where we saw Platform centering in a new market where no one is there actually appreciating and getting benefits from uh, the presence of another app having multi homing because it it helped in diffusing the innovation effects, basically. And I was wondering if you agree on this uh, impact of the maturity of of the field or the diffusion of, of platforms in that field.
2: Well, yes. So what we're what we're kind of saying with new technology is that we have platforms built on top of platforms. So in a way, now apps are platforms, right? So it's uh, initially we thought, okay, so we have um, Android and smart uh, Android and an iPhone. We have uh, app developers and and uh, and app users. You know, this is two sided market like games. Uh, games and, uh, and gamers for video game consoles. Now what is different is that well games by themselves became a little bit of a platform because now we can you know play online and multi in multiplayer uh, connected version. Uh, but they are not very evolved and, and very evolved platforms. But when it comes to apps, which are part of the ecosystem, they themselves become platforms, right? And then they are attracting users. And and then it may actually, you know, it may go farther because if you are building a marketplace, then you are going to, as an app on a on a platform, then you are going to even get the marketplace you may become a platform on which other platforms are being built. And so on and so on. So you are getting those staggered platforms. And now if you, if you can uh, use the you know, piggybacking and development, the, the, the uh, concepts that we know from traditional platforms literature, you can do it within a platform, one, you know, a lower level platform to introduce newer level platform, right? The upper level platform and so on. So you are getting uh, people who are using already one type of app, they are they they may try a new type of app because they already are familiar with some uh some with, with, with some functionality or the developer or they can use you know those are traditional piggybacking or envelopment strategies but now they are used within a, within an app which is already a platform and so on so the, this maturity that that comes from technological progress and and development and maturity is allowing for this dissemination of new platforms through multi-homing and and adjacent, uh, going into adjacent markets.
1: If I can, sorry, Philip. if I can build on on the two answers that you were giving, I was wondering, you were talking about uh, uh, diversification and now you were talking about adjacent markets. Have you seen any different impact of platforms that grow building, let me say, or innovating in the core service that they are providing, just to be clear, Uber that invest in a better matching with the drivers, in a better algorithm, in better value-added services for the riders or the drivers, or platforms that invest in a more vertical diversification, so bringing different sites on board. Again, with Uber, we can think about Uber Eats and all the various extensions they had. Have you seen any kind of different impact between the two strategies in terms of effect on the multi-homing?
2: So, uh, well, yes, uh, in the sense that the technological advancements, which is getting a better product, is uh, typically not affecting multi-homing as much. Uh, and, uh, and it may be, you know, what we are observing, it's difficult to get. So when we already have two established, uh, established products, we're not seeing a big, such a big qualitative difference for us to, to, to see, to see the difference. It may be in the future that, you know, either Uber or Live gets this patent and will leave, you know, leave everyone in the dust, you know, just as, uh, uh Google, uh, showed up with a better way to uh, to search the web than uh, AOM, uh, AOL, and uh, predecessors, and then basically we forgot about them. Uh, so it may happen in the in the past, but it is it is difficult. Whereas a horizontal differentiation may favor so expanding uh, expanding to different markets may favor the first comers, first comers. So. It may be that Uber eats, may 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 go in this market, uh, Uber may go into the, the food delivery market and may do things differently and get a foothold, foothold and 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 that will allow Lyft to maybe go in a different direction, right? So they went for scooters and bikes and and it may not be so easy for Lyft to follow in the same steps, depending on what are the arrangements that the first platform is making. So this may help the, in differentiation, I think, much better than just quality difference.
0: I think the, like, narrowing the set of platforms where the findings of the paper apply to down to examples where the barriers to entry are very low, um, because the platform is an app, uh, as, as you rightfully said. I think this is, this is super interesting. What I also thought about, are there additional factors that could influence um, the the mechanism? And and the the two examples that come into my mind is the one that we mentioned already, where, where we have Uber and Lyft as a duopoly, basically, in the US, and Uber competing with other ride hailing platforms in other regions of the world, while Airbnb also basically is an app, but has a very strong monopoly, I would say. I don't know about a a comparable competitor like now, right? Maybe in the beginning there were some, but at least from from our perspective or from my perspective here in Germany, I would say uh, Airbnb is is the the clear number one. So could you think about like additional factors, the nature of the goods that are transacted on the platform or or something else that also plays a role and maybe needs some uh, uh, mentioning?
2: yeah so this this is an this is an interesting interesting point when we were writing paper first there was actually you know competitor to uh, to airbnb homeaway um, and what happened is that some of the competitors went for um, this horizontal for this horizontal differentiation focusing on long term rentals vacation rentals and there are some some other firms that are focusing on just vacation family long-term rentals which are different than airbnb which in many places is is short stay substitute for a hotel um so so and and why why is this why is this the case well joining an airbnb is a little bit tedious all right but once you are there then you can you can go you can choose but uh, something that makes it a little bit more difficult to multi-home for the uh, for the uh, for the renter for the for people who have the apartments to rent is that they need to in advance decide when the when the place is available, and what happens when the place is booked on the same on the same platform on different platforms on this for the same period of time, and they need to cancel one of the reservations they need to they, need, they, they they need to intervene in a way or they need to withdraw availability and this may uh, this may relate to penalty and it may be either direct penalty from the from the platform that if you post availability and then you withdraw it if you do it too often then you are actually maybe punished by the platform um, or it may be just your rating. Right. You or somebody booked it and then, you know, a, a day later, you actually say, no, it was not available. That's not like a great, a great experience. So platforms do not want to see that, not just because of the competitive aspect, but also because of the experience on the platform. And, um, and they have more tools to kind of enforce it and that indirectly enforces single homing. So that is something that is not necessarily present with, uh, with Lyft or uh, Uber and Lyft because then the, both the drivers and the passengers decide on the right right now. And even if the right is canceled and you get another one, you know, immediately you waste just a couple of minutes. So it's not the same as, you, you know, you just spent a, a one whole evening to find this apartment in Copenhagen. And then, you know, you think you are done. And then the next day you say, no, it's actually not available. That that may be the reason.
0: That, that's super interesting. So it all comes down to the the friction and the quote unquote costs that the individual agents have to invest in 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 being on the platform. I think this is super super interesting. Also, when it comes to the uh, like locking in uh, agents on the platform, um, I think you also compared eBay and an Amazon marketplace. Um, so where like a potential buyer uh, or seller doesn't need, really need to look at another platform, like a buyer doesn't need to look on the marketplace if you find something on, on eBay, um, until the buyer is a member at Amazon Prime, right? Um, and then it is a different different game. And, and the same, I think we see more and more with these loyalty programs and, and activities by platforms to lock in different sites. What I would like to know is in, in your experience, do we see this more... On the on the side of the supply and the, the complementing agents that try to 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 sell and add something, or on the consuming side, um, I, I know examples for both. But do you have a tendency where it's maybe easier or, or more common?
2: No. So I, I I think it really depends on the market, right? Because so for example, Amazon Prime is an example of locking in. The users because the platform can get you complementary uh, goods and services, and therefore you just you are not even going to go to eBay, right? Uh, uh, to, because then, then it's an extra cost because you are already on one platform. Uh, so so this is on this is on one side. But then the example we just talked about uh, about uh, Airbnb and Home Away. And then the the friction of multi homing is on the other side. Uh, so it really depends on. Uh, so I would uh, metaphorically related to uh, to video games. It depends who needs to buy the console, right? That that side is going to single home, and we can impose the you know bull, more bulky co- consoles are actually going to provide more single homing. Uh, but but it really depends on the market.
1: You know, I was really interested by the the question that Philip did on uh, the difference between Uber and Airbnb and your answer there. I believe there is a part of this difference coming from the fact that they are offering different services. So as you said, I have to guarantee that if you are booking, even if you're sending a request on Airbnb, it's complicated to manage multiple platforms with the same apartment while it's not that complicated to have multiple apps open for uber and lyft for a driver and just picking when it comes it's very not probable that both of them are coming in the same exact second on the other hand you were mentioning uh, now you were talking about ebay but i think we can take it a bit everywhere talking about looking effects uh, various activities that the platform can decide to put in place to lock in one or the other or both sides. And the question is, in your opinion, the difference in uh, the current market structure for Uber with strong competitors in different areas of the world and Airbnb that basically became the dominant platform in the vast majority of the world for for that field, Do you think that this difference is coming more from the type of business they are in? So it's kind of an intrinsic characteristic of the service or from the designing of the platform? So from the decision of the management, the ones that actually put in place the mechanism?
2: They are not completely independent. Hmm. So you may have an underlying difference in the market right? And I think that this, it it plays a huge role. Because think about how much time you're spending searching for Uber and Lyft, right? And how much time you're spending to search apartment on Airbnb or a competitor. And the same, how much time are you going to spend searching for a uh, a good on, uh, you know, something to buy on eBay or Amazon, right? It's like, more considerable investment, and therefore, every time you need to redo the search is going to be different. Now, there is there are things that you can that can be done uh, by management to make the um, to make those those markets who are maybe less um, uh, you know more conducive to to multi homing that make it a little bit uh, less conducive. But I think it's sometimes difficult. So the underlying difference between um, Airbnb market and Uber market is that you don't want to spend time on Uber platform. You don't want like, even if they will come up with activities, right? And it's like, yeah, if it's it's delivering food, I, I will take it. Right, But if it's or any groceries or something else, but if it's if it's something to, you know, to like, are they going to be playing movies? Are they like people did not even don't even really want to set up their music or whatever preferences for the right. Right, you can like you can set up the preferences, but people don't bother. It's going to be a 10 minute ride where I'm, I'm going to really set up the music. Um, so so people don't want to spend time. If people don't want to spend time, there's little investment in a particular platform, and therefore it's going to be really difficult to overcome that. Whereas in in the in other platforms where there is just naturally more investment coming in, then uh maybe you know there is some if the platform would be in isolation then you may want the platform may want to limit those frictions right but in paradoxically in competitive environment they are better off not limiting those frictions right and not making it making it super easy because then it's going to increase multi-homing um but but there is some even no matter how easy it is on, on airbnb you are always going to be reading carefully the reviews you are going to and and so on so uh, so so I would say that big chunk is the underlying structure of the market. And now as with you know just like you can create network effects, you can probably decrease the frictions or increase the frictions within certain limits. And and here kind of bundling other goods may be um, maybe maybe a good idea. And this is like what Uber is doing, for example.
0: I very much like the question, Hannah, that you, that you said I'm happy to to quote you here in in the future who has to who has to buy the console that's that's what it comes 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 down to and I think we could talk about multi-homing and investment and potential market constellations for another hour or two but I cannot miss out on the opportunity to also talk about cryptocurrency and and blockchain um, with you um, that's why I'd like to come to the to the second topic. Um, and there, what fascinates you on the topic of blockchain and cryptocurrency?
2: Okay, so how much time do we have? Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so so I would say that uh, there, there are many different levels that fascinate me. Uh, one is the technology itself. And, and in fact, the fascinating part is the lack of novelty of technology, right? So it's not the technological uh, innovation that Bitcoin, the first cryptocurrency, and this is where you know we started talking about blockchain uh, in, the, in the in the popular sphere. Um, the uh, Bitcoin was not technologically uh, the, the elements that went into Bitcoin were not very technologically novel; they were all existing before. It was putting them together and accounting for incentives that made it work. So the interaction of technology and incentives is exactly what, like, is the core of my fascination. I have enough of technological background to understand that. When when I first started working on it in two thousand eleven, I, uh, I I was you know I looked into the description of how Bitcoin is is working and I. I, I saw the elements and I I knew that they were already existing before. I have learned about hashing functions and about um about and, and encryption, public encryption, and all those elements and distributed databases in my undergrad. So so it was the the novelty of putting it together in a particular way that accounted for incentives, the combination of it. And I think that what we're seeing in the further development of blockchain technologies is there are other elements of technology, and they are in fact more novel than Bitcoin. Some are developed with the purpose of using it in the blockchain. Uh, blockchain technologies, smart contracts, new languages, and, and new types of uh, new types of blockchains. Um, so some of them in the consensus mechanisms, those, those are like, the, uh, like really, really interesting uh, interesting developments in the, the field of distributed databases. The field was existing, you know, so it goes back to the late 70s. But we can see new developments there. But it is the uh, how bl- thinking about blockchain forces thinking about incentives. When developing those technological systems, in a way that was not there before, and the same—I mean, the same happens with later when we take DeFi, when we take DAOs, when we and so on. So it's uh, it's really the combination that I think it's it's really really cool that I don't see in other spheres of fintech. Right? When I think about mobile banking and so on, this is basically. Um, uh services from traditional finance combined with traditional computer science and and you know it's a it's a it's a nice combination and it's more useful but it's not necessarily the interaction of it it's combination. So blockchains can mean many different things. And in fact, the structure of the blockchain, again, goes back to the 90s, but we really think about it in the context of of Bitcoin. So let me say that when I'm talking about blockchains, I'm mostly focusing on permissionless blockchains that started with Bitcoin and either proof of work or proof of stake. I have a lot to say about permission permission blockchains as well, but some of the statements that I'm going to be making here may not be. so the uh, so so uh, so permissionless blockchains, uh, especially, are platforms in a sense that you need and multi-sided platforms. You need users to uh, to use the system to provide enough resources for the verifiers, validators, and it may be miners or, or minters or stakers on the other side uh, to maintain the system. And you need a lot of those uh, uh, miners or stakers in order for the system to be secure, right? And it's 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 a similar uh, feedback loop as we see in other platforms. So the platform functions well only if there are a lot of users and a lot of a lot of miners for the proof of work uh, type of systems. And this is why um, uh, you know this is this is why. Uh, Bitcoin, uh, despite you know being kind of old and clunky, is still the dominant uh, cryptocurrency, right? And uh, I have a paper where we were in 2013 and 14 with uh, Neil Gandal we're looking at developments of altcoins or those other cryptocurrencies. And we're pointing to technological advancements and those Nova coin is much better than Bitcoin. It's more secure, it's more, and so on, so on. And for a while, it looked like the other ones are taking on um, and then the first mover advantage kind of took over, and uh, and Bitcoin became the state dominant uh, dominant coin. And w- we see this playing out again and again, uh, multiple times, because it is it is a platform, and there are network effects in a in a way. So so this is the you know the first the first part. There are a lot of interesting concepts, you know, going to supply and demand and how it plays out, you know, and, and this being a platform. Then we we have blockchain we can build cryptocurrency, we can build crypto tokens, right? And now tokens can be used in platforms, even if the platform itself is not sitting on the blockchain, the platform can use the, the, the tokens. And, um, and that is kind of an interesting interesting concept, and also the platform itself may be on smart contracts, using smart contracts in how those tokens may be used in the future. And I have, a, I have a paper that shows that for platforms that are starting in the market and they in the traditional system, they would need to rely on subsidies to get the foothold in the market and to get the network effects going and to get the early adopters on in order to, to be successful in the future. Um, that may uh, the, 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 the funds that are needed for the, for the subsidies may not be available to platforms. Especially if you if you wanted to start a new platform, uh, you know, blockchain platform, crypto platform, in 2015, 2016, would go to a bank and say, "I want to start this new business. I need, you know, a couple of millions on loan," and uh, they would never give it to you, right? Uh, so uh, instead, those new platforms can issue tokens. That uh, that are they may or may not have value in the future, but they are tradable tokens, and because they are based on smart contracts on a permissionless blockchain, you know that this tradability is going to stay there even if the platform dies. Okay, and this is what, in a way, if we think about metaverse, right? So how is metaverse different than Second Life that uh, you know that we had uh, a decade ago, um, and you know it's. It's not really that different, right? It's the same principle, but the technology is different enough that if you are basing your metaverse on the on the tokens, fungible and non non fungible tokens that are living on the blockchain that is outside of the game, then you at least have this asset. Whether it will be worth something or not, it's just, it's a it's another thing. But if the platform falls down, like a metaverse uh, metaverse game, as I call them. Or you know, second life goes down, and second life goes down, then all your Linden dollars are gone. When uh, when a metaverse platform goes down, you still have your tokens, and they may or may not be useful for something. Right? That is, with that, you may actually have a better appeal for people to start using the uh, using the platform as an experiment, because now they may think there is some chance I will have some asset after, even if it fails. So you can escape the uh, unfavorable beliefs that platforms typically struggle with. The third thing is that the platform itself may be governed by a DAO. So now we are going to governance tokens, right? Uh, From 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 um, fungible, -fungible, non-fungible, kind of transferable tokens. Now it's governance tokens. And then the question is, if a platform is governing, being governed by the members. Is it going to change the performance, the structure, the pricing as compared to the traditional platform that is uh, a traditional platform that is uh, managed by a centralized party? So this is kind of a a project that I have uh, that is called Will Will Blockchains uh, Disintermediate Platforms?
1: Well, to summarize all these points is... uh... It probably it re- requires a couple of papers. <laughs> it's it's definitely a lot going on and a lot of insights in what you were saying. Let's try to 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 close this this chapter of of the episode with a, a sort of role game. Let's pretend to be talking to uh, an innovator that is setting up a platform and is wondering to go for, let me say, classical, non-blockchain platform or a blockchain platform, and is really struggling with this decision. What should this guy looking at to to go or not for the blockchain, in your opinion? What are the drivers that should push there or not push there?
2: So so like I said, we can think about uh platform that is a traditional platform, but is using uh, cryptocurrencies or tokens on blockchain as, uh, as, as uh, uh, and it may be for loyalty as loyalty points and everything else. And there, um, you know, are you going to go for your internal system or a system on a blockchain and, and ethereum, you need to weigh the appeal and trust. That people uh, people may, uh, may may place in blockchain, especially currently. I think you know hype is a great coordination device and platforms need coordination uh, devices to, to work well so this may actually work in favor um, versus the cost of using this external system. Right? because if we are using an external blockchain that is permissionless blockchain, we may be at the mercy of fees on the blockchain and that may cripple our, our business. If we're doing internal blockchain, we're not getting the benefit of the trust outside. Uh, so those are, those are kind of the, the trade-offs here. And for some businesses, if they want, if the appeal is to decentralize and disintermediate, then the only way to do it is to do it on blockchain. Uh, and then you just it's not just about the tokens being transferred, but it is also a whole set of other smart contracts that are going to, and potentially governance tokens, that are going to kind of set up the whole system. And, and you can just do things with, uh, with blockchain platforms that you cannot credibly do with centralized platform. Uh, and th- so this is the, at the same time, centralized platforms are cheaper. They are cheaper to operate. Uh, they are they are also quicker and more agile to make decisions and to respond respond to competitive environment and they are uh, they are less likely to be hijacked. So yes, we worry about uh, uh, centralized platforms taking advantage of their market power right but it is in a way well understood and predictable in the centralized platforms we can very unpredictably be uh be victims of a hacking attack or even there's you know there are governance attacks there are all sorts of other attacks there are less predictable and it's uh and it's uh, less understood what are the motivating uh what are what is the motivation behind those disruptions so those are the the the, the trade-offs
0: what i found very very interesting when you were talking about the many connections that We can make to the explanations and discussions of the quote unquote traditional or or centralized uh, platforms that we were talking about before, right? Um, Having the Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum ecosystem as also enable us to build on with additional applications or platforms that lower entry barriers, lower friction, and lower the costs of adoption for uh, for different actors, um, very similar to the iPhone and the app stores and apps uh, in, in the centralized um, uh, platform arena. Um, when you think about the future, your future work, future research opportunities in the intersection of blockchain and cryptocurrencies and and platform research or coming from interesting findings from platform research and assumptions that we have, um, what do you see on this path what what lies ahead and maybe what what are you really like thinking about and what kind of questions are you're nagging on right now
2: so I, I uh, the question that I am actively exploring is the interaction and competitive interaction between centralized platforms and blockchain based platforms and in many different ways that's the that a platform may be blockchain based, may be completely decentralized, may be using um, blockchain elements. Um, I'm, I'm expecting that a lot of uh, centralized platforms will use blockchain technologies, even if they are not completely decentralized. But the uh, question is, will would completely decentralized platforms really successfully compete against centralized platforms? And it's not clear, the arguments may go as of now, either way, and this is exactly the question to explore. And a lot of proponents of blockchains would like to believe that yes, the blockchains are going to be, are going to be successfully disintermediating uh, traditional platforms. But uh, what I am seeing, and I have seen in this technology from the beginning, is a similar promise that internet held of disintermediation and decentralization and democratisation and internet brought you know gave rise to more powerful intermediaries than we have ever seen before and my question is will blockchain promising even more decentralisation disintermediation democratisation will it end up with even more powerful intermediaries
0: what what a what a wonderful question to to end on and to, to leave open and and to explore in in the future, Hannah, it was a, a wonderful wonderful discussion. I definitely learned a lot and very much look forward to dig even deeper into uh, into your work um, and and follow your work. Um, and before we close, uh, that will be my my final question. If listeners want to learn more about what you're doing and also follow and maybe even get in touch. What's the best way to to interact with you and and don't miss out on uh, interesting new publications?
2: I'm I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's easy to find me, and uh, it is also just as easy to shoot me an email. And uh, and you know if you just Google my name, my email will pop up. And and I'm I, I may be delayed with answering emails, but I'm always happy to interact.
0: Wonderful, and. Yeah, the only thing I can say is um, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for being on Talking About Platforms.
2: Thank you. So thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun.
1: Thank Thank you very much, Hannah.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking About Platforms. To support our work. You can rate the episode or leave a comment on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to
1: hit the follow button so you don't miss out on the coming episodes. If you want to look up at the papers we have discussed or other topics we addressed, visit TalkingAboutPlatforms.com. There you can find the show notes and get in touch with us. Until next time,
2: when we're again talking about platforms.